All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow in Your presence now, we come in Jesus' name. We ask You, Lord, if You would, to help us these next few moments speak to hearts. I pray that the will of God would be done. Most of all, I pray if there's someone listening that is not saved, I pray, God, that the Spirit of, of God would convict them and may they come to the knowledge of salvation and be born again by the grace of God. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. I want to preach a few minutes on this subject, on the grace of God. The grace of God. The Bible said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Now, when you think about uh, verse number 11, Paul uh, mentions here the grace of God. First Peter chapter number 5 talks about God being the God of all grace. James chapter number 4 tells us, but he giveth more grace. I'm thankful for the grace of God. God's grace begins with salvation. And thank God for the grace of God and salvation in our life. Mercy kept us from getting what we did deserve until grace could come along and give us what we do not deserve. And certainly I can say that God's grace has been sufficient in my life. There's saving grace, there is sufficient grace, and there is serving grace. And I believe there's dying grace, there's living grace. And as the psalm, or as the uh, as the writer said in the book of James, we mentioned there is more grace. When we think about the grace of God, we think about that old song that John Newton wrote, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me." I think about God's grace, how that there's grace for every trial, there's grace for every trouble, there's grace for every traveler, there's grace for every tear that'll fall from our eye, there's grace for every hilltop, and there's grace for every heartache and grace for every headache. And there's grace for every home break. There's grace for all the problems and all the pressures of life. I'm glad that God's got grace in the morning. He's got grace in the evening. He's got grace when we peel our head at night. Doesn't matter where you're at, whether it be through the fire or the flood, whether it be in the valley or on the mountaintop, the grace of God will always be what you and I need it when we need it too. There'll be grace, amen, for the, for the race. There's grace for every generation. There's grace for every nation. There's grace for every denomination. There's grace for, for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're at or what you've done. God is the God of all grace and we're thankful for that grace. There's grace for uh, my friend, for, for you and there's grace for me and there's grace for, for each one of us in this walk of life. And here Paul emphasizes uh, the grace of God in verse number 11 and in verse number 14. I want you to see that Paul tells us here that the grace that there's the grace of God and that the grace of God redeems us. He said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then in verse number 14, he said, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And I'm glad that we can say that the grace of God redeems us. And then he talks about the grace of God in verse number 12, how that it reforms us. Notice he said that teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and God in this present world. Now the grace of God not only saves us, 
but the grace and redeems us, but the grace of God reforms us. In other words, it schools us. It teaches us uh, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. I'm glad that grace doesn't end at salvation. It just begins. Amen. I know that we can say that God has been gracious to us before we, we got saved, and but God was merciful to us before we got saved. And no doubt that God has shed His grace on us before salvation, but to really know the grace of God, uh, you have to know it in salvation. And once you know the grace of God in salvation, then you see the grace of God, uh, listen, in your life every day. Uh, we, it's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And so He tells us here that uh, grace has redeemed us, grace has reformed us, And one of these days, thank God, according to verse 13, grace is going to reward us. Amen. He said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace has redeemed us. Grace is reforming us. It's it's making us into the image of Christ. And then grace one day is going to reward us when Jesus comes. It's going to reward us with a new body. And then we're going to have those crowns that can be received at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to get to live with Him throughout eternity. Grace of God rewards us. And the grace of God allows us, the Bible said in verse 11, it allows us to love Him. For the grace of God that brings us salvation. You know what salvation causes? It causes a love for God. Before I got saved, I didn't love Him. I'm sure you can testify the same thing. You may say, well, preacher, I, I've always been in church and loved the things of God. But if you've been born again, it's a different kind of love. You really don't know the love of God until you're saved and until you're born again. And the grace of God, uh, my friend, it allows us to love Him. We love Him, the Bible said, because He first loved us. Behold what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And the grace of God allows us to love Him. The grace of God allows us to live for Him. Uh, Verse number 12, it talks about that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You can't live that way if you don't know the grace of God. If you don't have God in you, then you can't live a godly life. You can live a religious life, but you can't live a godly life. And so I'm glad that the grace of God it allows us to love Him, and then the grace of God allows us to live for Him. It gives us the ability, uh, it gives us the strength to say no to sin and say yes to the Holy Spirit, to live our life. It puts a desire to want to live for God. If you're saved, then you have that genuine desire. You want to serve Him. You want to live for Him. You want to go to church. You want to, you want to sing the songs of Zion. You want to read the Scriptures. I, I don't do these things because I have to. I do them because I want to. That's good evidence of salvation. When you're born again, you want to live for Him. That grace is, is on the inside that God has given to us. It allows us to love Him. It allows us to live for Him. And then grace allows us to look for Him. Notice again, verse 13. He said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace allows us to look for Him. That's one of the signs or evidences of salvation is that we love His appearing. You say, how do you know if someone loves His appearing? Because they're looking for Him. Thank God I, I'm looking for Jesus to come. I get up every morning thinking today could be the day. This could be the hour. The worst this old world gets. 
The more I, I look for Jesus to come, the older you get, the more you look for Christ to come. What a day that's going to be, as the songwriter said. And in one other old song I think about, some golden daybreak, Jesus is coming again. Won't it be wonderful when the sky rolls back and the Son of God comes to this earth and He raptures out the, the saints of God and He and He resurrects the saints of God and we meet Him to, in the air together. And the Bible said, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a day that's going to be. The grace of God allows us to love Him. The grace of God allows us to live for Him. The grace of God allows us to, to, to look for Him. And when we think about that, I want you to look in verse 11 again. We're just going back to this text time and time again. So many things we could talk about in these verses. And as we go back to verse number 11 again, we see the appearing of this grace. As he said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know, that grace is sovereign, that it's appeared to all men. doesn't matter what generation they lived in. doesn't matter what nationality they are. doesn't matter if they're saved or if they're or those, that are, those that are saved. doesn't matter even those that are lost. They've seen the grace of God. And we know that when we were lost, we saw the grace of God. The grace of God is just as real and it's just as, it's just as prevalent today as it ever has been. We're talking about this grace is sovereign. Now, I'm not a Calvinist by, by no means... But I do believe in the sovereignty of God. And I believe that God is sovereign enough that it doesn't matter if a man lives in America or he lives in Africa. God will reveal His grace unto him. The grace of God, it bringeth salvation into men's life because it's appeared unto all men. To all men. I believe in a whosoever will gospel. The Bible teaches a whosoever will gospel. Right here in our very text, that the grace of God bring us, for the grace of God that bring us salvation hath appeared to all men. You can't get around that. It's for all men. Thank God for that. Amen. And it's sovereign and it's saving. It brings salvation. Wasn't that wonderful to know that you're saved by grace? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm thankful that salvation is by the grace of God. And I'm glad for that. It doesn't matter. You say, might be listening and say, well, preacher, I, I'm a wicked sinner. I, I've lived a wicked life. And would God save somebody like me? I want to tell you, friend, God will save anybody that will put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody that will look to Him. Anybody that will trust in Him. I want to tell you, God will save you. you, you listen, you can never be too wicked enough that the grace of God can't reach further down than what you are and pick you up and bring you out of, out of that life of sin. The grace of God has appeared to all men. And the great, His grace is saving. And then this grace is sufficient. I'm talking about the grace of God that's appeared. It's sovereign. It's saving. But hallelujah, it's sufficient. Again, someone lost may be listening and say, Preacher, would that grace be sufficient 20 years from now? I want to tell you it will be. Thank God the same grace that saves you is the same grace that will keep you. That grace is good when you're young, but grace is good when you're old. Grace will do while you're living, as I mentioned earlier. But thank God it will do when you're dying. I'm glad the Bible says the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and He'll give glory. Grace will see you to the end of the way, friend. Grace will take you through the portals of heaven and into the glory of God. The appearing of this grace. God's grace is sufficient. You talk to anyone that's served Him any length of time. His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient through the 
heartaches and the storms of life, the trials of life that we face. We, we've watched so many people, and we could all testify about people that we've seen go through deep waters. And we look at their life, and just because we're saved, it doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean we don't have heartaches. I mean, we've all had our share of burdens and, and trials in life. And it, the Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. It doesn't matter. Uh, listen, if you're saved or lost, you're going to have troubles in life. Job said, man, that's born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. Just because we're saved doesn't mean that we're exempt from those troubles of life. But I'll tell you what does make the difference between a saved man and a lost man. As I've watched people go through deep waters, and as they go through the, the, the trials of life, somehow, somewhere, some way, they would find the strength to keep carrying on. Not just the strength to go on, but the strength to go on with joy in the midst of sorrow. Where's that, where's that joy coming from when their life is filled with sorrow? Where's that peace coming from when they don't know the outcome? They don't know what's going to happen. Where is that, where's that encouragement coming from when they cannot see the right way? I'll tell you where it's coming from, friend. That grace is sufficient. It's holding them up. It's helping them through. It's seeing them to the other side of that storm or to the other side of that mountaintop. It's getting them through that valley. It's helping them cross that desert, that dry period in their life. The grace of God, it is sufficient. The appearing of this grace is that it is sovereign. It is saving. It is sufficient. And then the action of this grace. Notice verse number 12. He said, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know, grace doesn't leave you where it found you. Grace picks you up and grace begins to teach you along life's way. In this verse, I want you to notice that grace teaches us, number one, what to reject. Amen. The Bible says, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, strong worldly desires. That's what, that's what the grace of God teaches us. You take a man when he gets saved, he may have been an alcoholic all of his life, a drunkard all of his life. But when he gets saved, all of a sudden the grace of God gives him the ability to reject what he could not reject before. Gives him the ability to... Uh, to be able to say no to the bottle. So uh, you take a dope head when they get saved, they have the ability uh, to say no to that dope. Doesn't mean that their flesh may not crave it. Their, may, their flesh may uh, not desire it from, from time to time, but, but they have the ability to, to deny that ungodliness. They have the ability to, uh, to uh, deny that worldly desire, that worldly lust. You know, when a person gets born again, they want to come out from the world. This crowd that says they're saved, but, they, but they've never come out from the world. They still love the world, still look like the world, still dress like the world, talk like the world, act like the world. You know why? Because they're of the world. Doesn't mean that a saved person can't, can't backslide and go back to it. But I'll tell you the difference is a saved person will have a mark. They'll have a time in their life that when they got born again, they came away from this world. And even if they do go back to it, I promise you this, they'll never enjoy the worldly desires that they, that they, that they once had. They'll never be able to enjoy them after they got saved like they did before they got saved. That crowd that claims to be born again, but they've never changed. They, they, as the old saying is, they never changed their hitching post. I'm going to tell you something. They never got born again because the grace of God, it don't leave you where it found you. It teaches you to reject, uh, so, uh, what to reject. And then it teaches you what to reproduce. Notice uh, the Bible says here that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now the reason 
that we can reject worldly lust and the reason that we can uh, the reason that we can deny ungodliness is because some things are being produced in our life. Uh, listen, when a person gets born again, uh, they have the ability to live soberly. They see things differently. They can live righteously. They want to live for God. They, they desire the, the, the righteous things of God, the things that are holy and godly in this present world. doesn't matter how dark and how defiled this world gets. When a sinner gets saved, all of a sudden on the inside, that grace that's been applied, it makes them desire things they didn't desire before. They didn't desire the Word of God before they got saved. Now they have a hunger. They have a desire as a newborn babe. They have an appetite for preaching, for teaching, for, for reading the Bible for for studying it. They want to know what God says, and they want to know God what God's will is, and they want to live according uh, to the Bible. So therefore, the desires for the world begins to diminish, and the desire for the things of God, that appetite for the things of God, it begins to grow. Friend, you ought to ask yourself that question uh, this afternoon: Is the action of grace real in your life? Is is the grace of God working in your life in, in that way? Does it teach you to to say no to the world and say yes to the holy things of God. Notice the Bible says here to live godly in this present world. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, preacher, the world's a lot, it's a lot harder to live for God today than it was 20 years ago or or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. I beg to differ with that because the same grace that helped that generation will help this generation. And I promise you, as wicked as the world is today, it's not as wicked as it was in Noah's day. And the Bible said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If Noah could find grace to live for God in such a perverted and wicked hour and wicked day that he was living in, then you know that you and I could find that same grace to live for God in the hour that we're living in. And we see here that it teaches us what to reject. It teaches us what to reproduce. So there's the appearing of this grace in verse 11. There's the action of this grace in verse number 12. But I want you to notice in verse number 13 uh, the anticipation of this grace. The Bible said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, grace not only saves us and grace not only uh, begins to work in our life and school us, but grace puts an anticipation in our heart and in our life. Paul says here in verse 11 that it helps us to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The anticipation is seen in a believer's eyes that we are looking for something that is beyond this world, or should I say someone that is beyond this world. We're looking for someone to return. The world thinks that's foolish. The world says that Jesus is not coming, but the world was wrong before, and the world will be wrong again. But we that are saved, we're looking for that. We anticipate the coming of Christ. The anticipation is seen in a believer's eyes. It's it's seen in a believer's uh, emotions. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Listen, it is seen in our emotions. We have hope. You know, when the world talks about hope, they're talking about a possibility. They're wishing, they're, they're hoping something will take place. They're talking about a possibility. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's talking about a security and assurance. We're looking for that assurance. We're anticipating. We have, some, we have emotions. It, 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 listen, that, that anticipation is seen in our emotion that we are assured. We, we are settled. We're secured that, hey, Jesus is coming and we will see Him one day in the rapture. We will see Him on that great rest 
resurrection morning. As the songwriter said, we shall rise. Amen. The anticipation is seen in a believer's eyes. It's seen in a believer's emotions. And then it's seen in a believer's expectation. He said, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We anticipate, we expect Jesus to come. There's an expectation about Christ's appearance. We're anticipating, we're looking. That's a tremendous verse that reminds us about the grace of God and the glorious appearing of Jesus. And Paul, uh, he takes us in verse number 14 now, he takes us from that and he takes us here and he says, who gave himself for us. I want to just close in these two verses here because there's two different thoughts that I want to mention Paul mentions here, and he talks about Christ giving himself for us. Why did Jesus give himself for us? We see the person that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And listen, he gave himself for us to save us from our sins. He, Christ gave himself for us that he might save us from our sin. And we think about that. And then we think about uh, to sanctify us unto himself. He said that he might purify us unto himself. The reason Christ gave Himself was to save us from our sins, uh, to sanctify us, uh, listen, uh, unto Himself, and then to stir us for service, as He says here, that we, He might uh, purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Jesus died for this threefold purpose in, in the life of, of, of every individual, to save us from our sins, to sanctify us unto Himself, and then to stir us towards service, that we might serve Him, that we might live for Him. When we think about Christ giving Himself, uh, listen, that reveals the, the person, Jesus Christ. It reveals the prize, Calvary, and then the people here that He had us in mind when He died for us, and we're thankful uh, for, the, for the cross of Calvary. When we come to verse number 15, let me close with this verse. He said, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Paul takes the time here to, uh, to talk to Titus specifically, personally. And he's talking to this young man of God, this young preacher. And he's just got through talking about the grace of God and how the grace of God is real uh, in the life of that individual. And as Paul talks about the grace of God here, notice he talks about the preacher. And he said, and you can take these verses, verse 11 down through verse number 14, and you can look at them in light of verse number 15. He talks about the man of God, Titus. And he said, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And so when you think about that, Paul has a personal message in verse number number 15 for Titus. And, and, and as we go back and we look at verse 11, you know, the grace of God's real in every preacher. And, and it's real in every pastor's life, evangelist, missionary. And I got thinking about verse number 15 here. And I thought about the preacher and in light of verse number 15 and the verses that we've just read. And verse 11, if you compare them with verse number 15, what he has to say to the preachers, he must be saved. The grace of God uh, must appear to him. Salvation appear to all men. And the preacher must be saved. The preacher in verse 12 must be separated. He must live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. And then he too, uh, the preacher must be stirred. He must be stirred about the second, about the rapture, the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he must be, he must be stirred about in verse number 14, the sacrifice at Calvary. Calvary, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. He must be stirred about uh, serving the Lord, being zealous of good works and sanctification. All these things 
uh, in these verses that we preached before could be evidence and could be applied to verse number 15 uh, according to the preacher here. But he said, these things speak. I think there's a personal message here concerning the words of a preacher. The words of a preacher, uh, they must be scriptural. He said, these things. What things? Now he's talking about the book of Titus itself. All the things that Paul is giving Titus he said, they, he said, these things, that they must be scriptural. You know when a preacher preaches, his message must be biblical. It must be scriptural. They must be said. He said, these things. He said, Titus, I want you to speak them. A man of God, when he gets up to preach, uh, listen, his message ought to be scriptural, and he ought to say what thus saith the Lord. In other words, uh, he ought to not get up and preach his word, but preach God's word. Now, it's going to take grace to preach the word of God. The grace of God. It will take grace for that preacher to preach those words. His words ought to be scriptural. His words ought to be said. His words ought to be strengthening. Notice he said, these things speak and exhort. I think the message ought to, ought to edify. It ought to build up. It ought to exhort uh, the listener. And then it ought to be, his message, um, it ought to be uh, stern. He said, not just exhort, but rebuke. You know, a preacher can't be a glory preacher all the time. And I like glory preachers. I like glory messages. And thank God, uh, we listen, a preacher can't shear the sheep all the time neither. You've got to have a good balance. And the balance is exhort and rebuke. And in every message, they ought to be exhortation and they ought to be rebuking. They ought to be rebuking of sin and exhortation uh, to the body of Christ. But His words, they ought to be scriptural. These things, they ought to be spoken, speak. They ought to be, uh, listen, they, uh, these words ought to be strengthening. They ought to exhort, but then they ought to be stern. They ought to, they ought to rebuke. Men of God, preach against sin. They ought to be some uh, men calling sin by name. And we ought to stand uh, uh, firm and stand hard against sin. I, I long for a revival of sin killing preaching back in our country and back in our churches once again. They ought to be stern. They ought to be spirit filled. Notice he said with all authority. I'll tell you something about preaching. It's got to have authority. And that authority doesn't come from the man it comes from God. You say, preacher, I, I want my preaching to, to have authority. Then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can get up and rant and rave and you can get up and you can try to preach hard or you can try to act like somebody else who, who is spirit-filled. And, but I'm going to tell you something, people see through that mess. The average member that, that, uh, that sits in the pew week in and week out, they see through that mess. The authority that you and I need as preachers is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and preach in the power of the Holy Spirit and not the energy of the flesh. And then... He must be steadfast. His words must be steadfast. Let no man despise thee. The words of a preacher. That's what message within itself when you think about it. But in context, it takes the grace of God. That grace of God that has appeared in salvation. That grace of God that helps us to separate. That grace of God that, that helps us to, uh, to be stirred about the coming of Christ in Calvary and helps us to be stirred about living a sanctified life, preacher. And that grace of God that helps us to be zealous to those good works, that's the same grace that's going to help us preach a biblical, a bold, and a well-balanced message that's got the breath of God on it and that will help us to not back down but stand in these latter days. Our Heavenly Father, I pray now that you will take the message and use it to speak to hearts. And Lord, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful, Lord, that you have shown your grace to us in salvation. And Lord, that your grace is sufficient. I pray if there's someone listening that does not know the grace of God in salvation, I pray the Holy Spirit will convict them and draw them. And may today be their day of salvation. And for what you do, we'll love you, we'll praise you, and we'll thank you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen.